Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. If you don't want that Fu Manchu knocked back to the 60s, you better keep your thumb chewing trap shut and show some respect. I'm going to hit you very, very hard. Our only hope of defeating Skeletor is to find the cosmic key. Are you out of your mind? No. Just out of bullets. Hi, and welcome to The Backlot. I'm Eric Connor, Senior Instructor at New York Film Academy. In this episode, we've got the man who killed Apollo Creed, Dolph Lundgren. Now, if you couldn't tell already, I'm a bit of a geek. The kind of geek that would go to, let's say, the New Beverly's Dolph Lundgren Film Festival, which was a glorious 10-hour road trip down 80s memory lane. Red Scorpion, Rocky IV, The Punisher, Universal Soldier. Dolph Lundgren's a rare action star who's as comfortable throwing a punch as he is a joke. But before he burst on the scene, Mr. Lundgren moved to America for his brains and not his brawn. I uh, studied chemical engineering in school. My dad was an engineer and I, my older brother was an engineer. I came to America on various scholarships to study engineering and chemistry. And I ended up uh, getting a Fulbright scholarship to MIT, which is a great school in Boston. Uh, I was fighting, I was a karate fighter as well, an amateur fighter. So that was my goal, to come here, graduate from MIT, get a business degree and uh, be the president of Exxon, you know, and something like that. But things didn't really turn out that way. Then I went back to Sweden, studied there for a couple of years, did my military service, went to Australia on another scholarship. In Australia, I met this girl, this singer, Grace Jones, who was like a big deal in those days. We kind of fell in love and I uh, came over to hang with her in New York, ran into a few characters like Andy Warhol and Michael Jackson, a few guys like that. And uh, back in the 80s, Studio 54, <laughs> Studio 54 right. the back room of studio, I've been there. Interesting for a young Swedish kid. And uh, somewhere along the way, I decided to start doing modeling to get a, a visa. And then somebody said, hey, man, you know, you can do movies, you can fight, you know, you're a big guy. So I started studying acting. And when I did my first scene, I realized, wow, this is really cool. I, I, I like this. There's something here that I haven't done before. Because I'd been intellectual and I'd been physical, but I'd never really been emotional. After appearing in a few films, Mr. Lundgren auditioned for the role that would change his career, Ivan Drago, the seemingly invincible Russian boxer from Rocky IV. The problem was, he looked a little too invincible. Within about nine months, I was up for a bunch of different movies. and. Uh, some of them were kind of dramatic roles, or small roles, but more dramatic. And then there was this boxing movie that I went up for. I didn't know what it was. And I came up to a woman who sat there at the table, and she says, uh, okay, next, how tall are you? And I said, six, four, too tall, next. And I was like, wait a second. And I saw the poster, Rocky Four. And I thought, I gotta do something about this. And I took some pictures in boxing gear, and uh, I sent them to somebody who my acting coach told me, he said he knew somebody who knew Bert Young, and Bert Young was going to give the pictures to Sly. Well, nothing happened. Six months later, I gave up on the whole thing, and I was in Europe. Grace was working on her picture, a Bond movie, actually, and I was hanging out with her, with Christopher Walken. He was, uh, he was the bad guy, 
and she was the bad girl. So I was a bit jealous because they had like a love scene or something. And anyway, so I got a call from somebody, some PA, you know, like, thank God I found you. I've been looking for you for months, you know. We couldn't find you because we had this picture. And it turned out that finally Stallone got the photos. And uh, they flew me out here to California from New York. And I uh, hopped in a cab here at LAX. And I remember driving to Paramount because that's where Stallone had his offices. And I came in there and uh, met Sly Stallone. He had long hair, very tanned, because he was doing one of the Rambo pictures. And he was a little shorter than I thought, you know. I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was really nice to me. And he, uh, he had all these binders, like, everywhere, like, black binders. Is, uh, I got 5,000 guys up for this role, you know. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, yeah, you got to put on some weight. And anyway, he, we took some pictures and... Uh, and, you know, I had to audition for it. And uh, six months later, you know, uh, I had the part. Mr. Lundgren nailed his audition, mostly by doing the exact opposite of everyone else auditioning. I was in great shape because I was uh, I was European uh, karate champion, a heavyweight champion, actually. So I was a pretty good fighter. But I was quite thin here and, like, big legs, you know, from all those kicks. And uh, then I had to get in shape for the screen test. They flew me to L.A. here. Some guy in a pickup truck picked me up, and uh, I had to audition. You know, I was going to deliver a monologue that I had practiced in New York. It was, uh, yeah, they used it in one of the trailers. It started, my name is Drago. I'm a fighter Drago. from the Soviet Union. I'm a fighter from the Soviet Union. I fight all my life, and I never lose. Soon, I fight Rocky Balboa, and the world will see his defeat. So then, uh, I stayed at the hotel, you know, and I was walking in the elevator to go back up. The doors open, and there's this six-foot-five blonde guy looking at me. Excuse me, some big Russian guy, right? And it's like, okay. Then I ran into another big blonde guy. It's like, oh, sh okay. Because I realized it wasn't just me. It was three of us. And... Um, I came to the studio in the sound stage, empty sound stage, just dolly track like this, a mark here. We got changed into trunks, you know, bare chested. And there was about 50 people behind the camera, Sly, his bodyguards, guys in suits, you know, a bunch of onlookers, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> this is serious now. <laughs> so I was last. And uh, <clears throat> the other two guys, they kind of did a Russian Mr. T. I'm going to kill you, uh, you know. And I decided to play him very cool, like it was all internal, you know, no movements. And I'd seen the Soviet cadets, they always kept their chin up like this. So I did my t screen test and went back to New York, and then the next day I got a phone call, hey, kid, you got the part, you know. So <laughs> that was it, man. And then I trained with Stallone for five months. So at the end of that year of hard training, I was in such good shape, like... Sly said, you know, we're such good shape, you'll never be able to get out of shape after this. And that's was, he was, he was kind of right, you know. It was, uh, it was hard work. Twice a day, we did weights for an hour in the morning, and then we did boxing for two hours every afternoon, six days a week, five months. And if I was five minutes late, he went nuts. And I was driving, you know, through L.A. traffic. Oh, you know, I was going over Grace. And she would come home at five in the morning, you know, with her uh, entourage, you know. And I had to get up at like 5.15, you know, so it was, it was a tough time. Mr. Lundgren even found inspiration for Drago in the works of Mary Shelley. 
Drago is like kind of the Frankenstein myth created by the system. The bad guy is Dr. Frankenstein, really the monster is just a creation, right? So that's, that's why it sort of resonates, I think, on that level. And I have this guy who helped me with the Russian accent and everything, who was a Russian director. He gave me a lot of suggestions that I took, you know, because I was quite inexperienced as an actor. I didn't really know about playing a second level and all of that, but he was a Stanislavski-trained director. So he had me play a lot of second level stuff because he meant that the character is so stoic. What's going on? What are you thinking about? What is Drago worrying about? And some of that comes across quite well on screen, that he is feeling bad about what he's having to do, but he does it anyway, and he's kind of embarrassed about certain situations, but that wasn't in the script. That was something that I ended up playing, and I think in the editing, and Stallone, when he cut the picture, he saw some of that and he, he brought it out. So, so it's a combination of both, I think. When Mr. Lundgren watches himself in Rocky IV, he doesn't see an unstoppable wrecking machine. He sees the young actor that he was, completely overwhelmed by the spectacle of it all. One of the strongest things was shooting in Vegas. When we did the thing with Apollo Creed, you know, it was actually a real MGM show and all the dancers were there and they had the ring come up and that was very interesting to me because when I see the movie, the look of shock and confusion in Ivan Drago's eyes is the look of shock and confusion in my eyes when I was there and when I saw that and there was no acting required, you know. <laughs> and, I, and it kind of makes me look at my own self at that age and it's kind of nostalgic and kind of a in a very nice way you know how i i was such a kid i was such a baby you know when i was there rocky four came out in the middle of the cold war and became the biggest hit of the franchise nobody was more surprised by the film's success than dolph lundgren himself you know, what was strange was there's something called ADR, you know, you redo your dialogue because some of the lines aren't clear or something. So I went in there and I expected to see some of the movie because I hadn't seen anything. I mean, there were no monitors in those days, none of that. So I went in there and there was like a shitty black and white copy and I saw some scenes and I was, wow, this is it? This is what I worked my ass off for for a year? Didn't look very impressive. So I went home, I was a little depressed, you know, and then I went into the premiere, I was with Grace. And um, there was the marching bands and the whole thing, you know, and people were trying to get me out of the way to take pictures of her, you know, could you please step out of the way? Uh, you know, you're in the way of my camera. And then I went in there and I, I sat down and the, and the screen came up and those boxing gloves, and then I sat there like, like that was for an hour and a half. Lights came up, everybody was applauding and everybody's looking at me because I guess I was the new guy, you know, and the new sly already. And, and then I came out, like you said, and people were taking pictures of me instead of Grace. And it was weird. It took me years to, I mean, at least a year to get over that first initial kind of shock. But it was, it was an interesting period, for sure. In one week, Mr. Lundgren went from being Grace Jones's boyfriend to a full-blown movie star. But becoming an overnight sensation also had a downside. You know, I wish in one way, okay, I, I can't go back and change history and I got famous overnight for something I didn't exactly really know what I was getting into. 
And I wish that I would have had a broader education and been a little more aware of the business and the various opportunities and the various positions and perhaps, you know, things that, that took me 20 years to accomplish or, or longer, I could have done maybe in a couple of years if I would have had that education and the understanding. Because once you become valuable in the industry, like once you're box office, and like they say, put asses on seats, right? If you could do that, then the audience, if you play a priest, you're going to play another 25 priests, you know, in the next 25 movies, or that's what they want you to do. But maybe when you have a broader education, like some guys after a couple of movies, some actors, they direct something or produce it and they do their own thing, you know, and that I wish I would have had that opportunity. And when asked what advice he'd give his younger self to weather the storm of celebrity, his answer was rather simple. I would say, get some therapy. <laughs> get some therapy, start meditating, make sure you have the best advisors, make sure that you have a lot of inner calm and, and that you're very secure in yourself so you can have some resistance to that crazy world out there. And I had some of that from martial arts, but you know, I got pulled along in many crazy directions because I, I, didn't, I didn't really have people to to support me, to, to speak to, you know. You know, I only have one or two people. But I never had that really, somebody to bounce things off like that. You know, I started therapy, by the way, about four or five years ago. And I always thought, well, acting is like therapy. I don't need any, that's bullshit, you know, I don't need that. But I realized therapy is great. You know, Marlon Brando started it, you know, back in the 50s, you know. Because as an actor, you have a lot of, usually some emotional complexity and things, but then in the business there's a lot of pressure. And a lot of times you beat yourself up over things that you really shouldn't beat yourself up over, that completely natural. And by talking to somebody, you know, who knows you and who, who can give you good advice, and you can bounce things off them, it's really valuable. It's been great for me, you know. So I think that and the meditation I started doing that as well uh, about four or five years ago has also been great to keep some kind of time during the day just for yourself when it's all about you. And it's not about doing things, it's about being. And in our crazy world, you know, that, that's a really valuable moment, for, I think, for anybody. And that comes back in, in your acting as well, where, you know, when you're facing the camera, you don't necessarily have to do so much all the time because you, you have the courage to just be and just, just, just breathe and just look the other person in the eye and just be yourself, you know. When you watch Mr. Lundgren's films, you can see his years of martial arts training. However, over 50 films later, it has definitely taken a toll on his body. It's hard to do martial arts when you're a big person because you have a lot of torque, you know, and you're, I mean, I'm very supple anyway from just natural, but I've had some injuries lately that I have to do less training. And as a matter of fact, I'm having some stem cell injections now. I've done, you know, 40 years of karate, so, and, uh, you know, a lot of the crazy stuff in the movies, no warm up, three in the morning, you know, stretch, stretch, and then, you know, do something crazy. Well, I don't do that anymore. But uh, I think you have to be careful if you want to be in martial arts in the movies to take care of your body and, and not to get worn out. Jet Li has a lot of damage. Worse than me. A lot of those guys, you know, they get a lot of injuries, you know, and uh, I think the best thing is to do strength training and stretching and really be careful to, you know, do some any crazy kicks and stuff unless you warmed up, you know, because I did a lot of the crazy stuff and I, I'm paying for it now a little bit. So, you know, hopefully I'll get through these 
stem cell injections and everything, and I'll be back in Expendables 4, I hope. I hope. Next year. Maybe uh, 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of Mr. Lundgren's more recent endeavors was the Expendables franchise, a veritable who's who of our favorite action stars. Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Willis, Statham, Van Damme, even Harrison Ford showed up in the third one. Yet despite all the wattage of star power, Mr. Lundgren explained that the egos were checked at the door. Well, there is a little bit of that in the air when you show up. I mean, you can't help it. These guys are athletes and... A lot of them have their own franchises, their own movies, you know. On Expendables 2, I remember, it was, I came with a few friends, and then I'm in there, they're putting all the gear on you, and then, you know, Chuck Norris comes in, and then, you know, Van Damme shows up, and Jet Li is over in the corner, and then he's like, Jason Statham, like, wait a second, Stallone, Arnold, like, Bruce Willis was on that scene, too. Yeah, it's a bit surreal, but I think what happens is the real athletes in there, like, uh, I guess I count myself as such to some extent and uh, you know like Randy Couture and Terry Crews and Van Damme too. They, I think they're not as competitive as maybe some of the other guys because to them the real competition is when it's real and you're getting your ass kicked for real. That's, that's bad. That's painful. You know, this is just a movie. You know, there is a little bit of competition, but I think the bottom line is we're all in the same picture and we want it to be a good movie. So you're going to help if anybody asks me to help them. Or, you know, if, um, I, I'm not jealous of Van Damme or Stallone or anything. I know that there's always somebody who's bigger than you, richer than you, a better actor than you, got a better looking girlfriend than you, you know, <laughs> and you bigger biceps, you know, there's, you know, you just got to be happy for what you got, you know, and that you're in the movie. <laughs> As fun as it is seeing all these titans in one film, one of them almost didn't make it out in one piece. Yeah, I've had a few crazy experiences. I mean, um, there's been a few. Lately on Expendables 3, there were some near misses. I mean, uh, there was a truck that we were supposed to all be on, and we were practicing early in the morning. Jason Statham's driving, and you know, there's some cameras set up. He's just doing uh, like a little test run. And for some reason, the brakes aren't working. So here's the water, we're in the, in the port. And, and he comes driving and the truck doesn't stop. It just keeps going and it takes out the cameras and he goes in the water and he disappears with the truck, you know. So we're all there going, what the hell, is Jason in there? And then someone's like, sending the divers, you know. It's like, but the guy was a diver, you know, so he pulled himself out. But you know, I've been in a similar situation where I was in, uh, in Masters of the Universe. This is back in the 80s where Things weren't quite as, you know, uh, organized as now. Late night shoot, and I had to jump out of a window through the candy glass with my sword, and then onto this, on the set, there's just like a, a platform, right? And I get up there and I decide to do I'm gonna do it myself. And as I'm jumping, you know, I look and there's no, this is concrete. And you know, time stands still. This is a short jump from here to there, but for a moment I'm like, oh shit. This is it. But I managed to somehow make it. If that was now, you know, a lot of people have gotten in serious trouble, but it was just, okay. He survived, that's good. <laughs> that's what happened. Mr. Lundgren's work in 2015's indie horror film, Don't Kill It, shows that even after decades in the industry, he is still challenging himself. I've done a few, you know, and I did a little movie lately, about two years ago, called Don't Kill It. Just a little uh, little horror movie, and this guy Mike Mendes, who's like a weird, far-out director, and it's very bloody. 
you know? But when I read the script, it started out with this five-page monologue, you know, and I was like, okay, how do I cut this down? But then immediately I realized, no, wait a second. This is a great monologue, you know, I got to do this, you know, and I had to work on it. And because the film was postponed twice, I really knew everything quite well, knew all my speeches and all of that. That was a very challenging role for me because I'm not used to doing that. But it was also, I got some good reviews and it was really uh, a bit of a breakthrough for me as, as an actor. It was just recently, actually. It is tough, you know, I mean, I think you go for those independent movies, you know, and that was just a, a luck of the draw that I found that role. I had about 10 years or so after that Rocky picture where I just, I did a couple of movies where I really worked hard and then I did a bunch of movies where I kind of didn't care so much because I was having fun, you know, I was a young man, you know, and I was kind famous and, you know, I wasn't married and I had a lot of, you know, kind of late nights and things like that and, you know, <laughs> I went astray, you know, I went, I mean, I always worked hard but I didn't really focus on, oh, let me, let me do this and let me get my career over here. But lately I've done a little more of that, and um, the thing is it doesn't take much for people to see it, and then they realize, oh, he can do this, okay, great, then we can give him that, and you know, mm -hmm. it happens quickly. The business responds quickly to, to anything that you do as, as an artist, which is cool. He's also spending more time behind the camera as a director, and he's welcoming the extra responsibility that comes with the role. Directing is more fun to me in one way, kind of more challenging. Acting is playing, uh, playing and being childish, childlike, whereas the directing, you're a little more responsible. Now, I've done the acting stuff a lot, so for me, directing is, is more of a challenge in one way, especially now when I have a lot of experience. And what I've realized as a director, a lot of my experience can be to calm people down, you know, and like, the producers, you know, like the actors, and hey guys, you know, don't worry, don't worry, it'll be fine. Just have fun, you know, like that kind of a, kind of a calming influence instead of running around. Then, you know, once you have a good script and you cast the right people, you don't need to do that much. You don't need to try to push people around too much. It's just, it's there already in the story and they just need to speak the line, you know, and to have fun with it. It's, it's an entertaining kind of a job, and you know, you're supposed to have fun being an actor and being a director, and you're supposed to be laughing and, and goofing off a little bit, too. Stallone is a lot of fun, and a lot of the Expendables guys, like Arnold, you know, he makes jokes all the time with the cigar, you know, and it's all, <laughs> everything is, you know, and that's what people love the guy, you know. <laughs> so, you know, Harrison, you will crash the chopper, you know, don't let them fly it, you know. <laughs> Mr. Lungridge stressed that even after three decades as a performer, it is crucial to find your own connection to the material. I think the challenge is that you want to make it fresh for yourself all the time. Like, uh, you have to find something fresh in the material for you to be excited about what you're going to do, about the role. I mean, I always try to find something, if it's a secret of mine or something I don't tell anybody, I don't tell the director, I don't tell anybody, you know, some secret about the character, and the way I approach it, something maybe in the character's backstory or, and something in the mannerisms or the way he talks or whatever. You know, something that makes you want to come to the set every day. And that is challenging because it takes a little bit of work to figure that out. And usually I sit with a script and I sit with the lines and I try this and I try that and I try to think of it. And sometimes I'm watching another movie or I see some program about nature and I see a, see a line or something and wow. 
Well, that's kind of an interesting idea. Maybe I'll use that, you know, so. That's how I look at it. That is the challenge, to make it fresh and fun for yourself. Before he left, Mr. Lundgren was kind enough to share a potential spoiler about the fate of Ivan Drago. You know, I said, I've said many times I would not play Ivan Drago again because I, I thought, you know, the reason he's such an icon in one way is because he's only, you can only see him up here, you know. He, but then, well, I can tell you now anyway because it's probably going to you know, be public. But anyway, Stallone contacted me about six months ago and asked me, you know, what do you think? What about playing him on Drago again? You know, <laughs> I got this idea, you know. You know, basically he's thinking of Ivan Drago coaching his young Russian son who's a fighter. So then I would play a trainer like Sly did in Creed. But Sly would train the African-American kid and I would train the Russian kid, you see. So I don't know if it'll happen, but if it does, you know, you know, we heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nice to see you. The return of Ivan Drago? Sign me up. Thanks to Mr. Lundgren for sharing his stories with our students, and thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, based on the Q&A moderated by Chris Devane. The episode was edited and mixed by Christian Hayden, produced by David Andrew Nelson, Christian Hayden, and myself. Executive produced by Jean Sherlock, Dan Mackler, and Toba Leiter. A special thanks to Chris Devane, Ariel Seagard, Saja Johnson, and the staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>